Ahoy! One page dungeon contest and dungeons dice and danger. This is staying in. Okay, everyone, pitch pipes at the ready. No, the best but no, the best birthday gift <laughs> for me is that we don't <laughs> do this. We don't do it. Could do the John Cage version. Is that seriously what 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 you'd like? Respect my birthday wishes. Do you want to know? Do you want to know what I did for my birthday, folks? Do you want to know what? Yes. Know what I did? Hello. He's trying to distract us, Sam. He's trying to distract uh, us. <laughs> he's trying to play the card of I am all powerful on my birthday, and you must do what I say. However, today is not his birthday. It's true. Yeah, but it's birthday week though. There's some residual powers left. Yeah, Wellington Fest. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So um. I built a TV unit on my birthday that was why I did I did a full day's work and then I built a TV unit so I I I really felt my age because basically what I ended up doing was saying all those things that you say when you're doing DIY right that you 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 you, you know your parents or legal guardians said to you when they were doing DIY like like mm-hmm. ooh ooh that's not quite flush I would never use that phrase outside of DIY <laughs> or, or ooh yeah no I I think I, well. Let's just let's just stop and think a second. All right, all right, all right. Okay, yeah. I, I think I've got this. Don't worry, I've got this. Uh, do you, you know how to use a you know how to use a flathead, don't you? I don't. Even, outside of DIY, I don't know what a flathead is. But I but when I'm doing it, immediately I can tell you what a Phillips screwhead driver looks like. Were you wearing the woolly pizza poncho At the whilst time? doing the DIY? Do you like it? Yeah. Do you like it? Um. So it's a it's um it's an Udi. And um, basically, there's a lot of very cloying adverts out there for these things, but uh, which really put me off for the longest time. But basically, um, you know when you're just having a I can't be bothered day, and you find the biggest hoodie that you've got, and you just go and wrap yourself up in it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Chris is demonstrating. Or, or you're living in Britain during a cost of living crisis, and you don't want to put on the heater. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. I, I'd say that dates a podcast, but I don't think it will. I don't think it will. No. Um, so what you do is you, you go and get one of those. And what Udi has done is they've made a range of very large hoodies that have mm-hmm. some sort of strange fabric inside. I don't know what it is. Fleece? I think it's called fleece. Is it? Is that what it's called? <laughs> fleece? Yeah. That's, that's not particularly strange. I'm not going to lie. Have you ever seen a sheep, Pete? <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, got, it's got a sheep inside of it. And basically what it does is... It keeps you nice and warm. But the fun thing about them is that they've got lots of fun patterns and designs. And mine is based on, um, I like to think, vegetarian uh, pepperoni pizza. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, like a nice sort of like pizza element to it, which is good. And it means that I don't have to fix the crack in the window. Is that a pattern you picked yourself or is this one of your birthday gifts? No, I picked this pattern myself. No, it's, I, 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 right. pick, I picked this pattern myself. I've gotten to the, into a point now with T-shirts and other, and other clothing uh, where I sort of think to myself, I don't really care what people think I look like anymore. <laughs> like, I really don't care. Like I'm, I, I've got to the point now where I'm sort of thinking, I'm seeing these really gaudy T-shirts and thinking to myself, yeah. Like the other day I saw a tie-dye T-shirt and thought, Ooh, like a fat Willie's Surf Shack T-shirt. Oh, ex- like exactly oh, that. Ex- I saw I saw somebody wearing a fat Willie's T-shirt and thought to myself, "I'd like one of those." 
One place I've always been wary about walking into is like Edinburgh Wool Mill. Used to go there all the time as a kid. My mum was obsessed with it. I've never heard of this. But I, I don't know about you, but do you find when it's all that wool, like it just makes you feel a bit uncomfortable? Do you know what I mean? No. No. I mean, no. Like it's almost quite stifling because I find wool quite itchy. What do you, how do you feel about Pete's uh, fleecy hoodie? Oh, man. I, Are you, I, do you feel a little uneasy about it, just having it in such kind of <laughs> close visual proximity? Yeah, particularly the way Pete is sporting it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how I'd feel, Dan, honestly, if I, wore, if I woke up and I was in that. You don't have to wear it nude. Oh. Oh, that's different then. Sorry, Pete. This is my choice. So with wool, so you just find it itchy. Is it just like scritchy, scratchy? Yeah, a bit rough, a bit itchy. It takes back to, you know, some of the jumpers I was forced into as a child. <laughs> and I remember when I, was, when I was about 10 years ago, I bought myself one of the, you know, like in Knives Out, that jumper that Chris Evans wears? Yeah. I had one of those. Yeah, like the proper like roll top, like fisherman's jumper. Oh, nice. And it was incredibly warm. Yeah. But the problem is I've got such a fat head that over like months of stretching over my head, I actually ripped the top of it. And they're quite expensive jumpers. And you can't just like, oh, I'll just go with a needle and thread and fix it. Because it's, yeah. it's kind of really obvious, really. So, sort of, sort of like the middle class equivalent of the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't make me peeved. You won't like me. That's my secret, Pete. I'm always peeved. <laughs> always just tenderly annoyed at cues and things. I feel like one of the gifts that you've given me, Peter, recently is... Go on. ...the impetus to play and complete the Order 1886. Oh. Have you done it, Sam? I've done it. You are kidding me. That's amazing. You only got it like a few days ago. Dan, it's seven hours long. <laughs> so so hang on. So was it exactly everything Pete said it was? Absolutely. Maybe even better. Yeah. I actually I actually think that the game has so much going for it. And I, I I'm playing it going, I would read a serialized novelization of Yes. Of this. Yes. Yes. Of this of this narrative. Yeah. Like I could see a load of fantasy novels set around because because the actual narrative, like, it's actually really, really good. And it finishes at a point where it's just like go on. Yeah. <laughs> please. Because yeah. this is this is not wrapped up in any way that provides me any sort of satisfaction. <laughs> and it's like with the subtitle 1886, I imagine that the next book in the series would be The Order 1904. A bit like those Anno games that Ubisoft makes. Like, it's the same... Yeah. It follows the same people. It follows the order, but within different mm. time periods. And the writing is actually really, really good. Mm -hmm. The graphics are incredible. For a launch game, are you kidding me? Like, unbelievable. Absolutely, yeah. Like it's one of it's one of those PS4 games that you have to play in a completely dark room <laughs> because any sort of sunlight or any sort of glare yeah. at all, you kind of like left squinting at yeah. the screen, go, yeah. I can't really. And it's got like that Vaseline smear yeah. to it. Yeah. Like, oh yes. And you can you can tell why they. One of the reasons I think that they set it when they did is because they get to light a lot by candlelight, mm. which I think forgives a lot of the things that they they're possibly hiding but 
but the game the game stands up it's actually super fun like the combat's not great there's a mandatory stealth section where it's like mm. get seen you fail yeah mm. um which is um probably the the biggest down point but the actual story and the characters and the writing i was just lapping it up i could i could really take a whole series of following these these people around well sam if i know anything about the video game industry i would i'm betting that sony was thinking that too <laughs> and that unfortunately is not going to happen now but it, but it's just like today t- today they released like the trailer for the new dead space remake yeah. which all looks fun and everything and like they're saying that they're going to remake horizon zero dawn for the ps5 yeah. and i'm just like there's a really hot property yeah. here which could I think genuinely be, you know, just a whole new IP, a whole new franchise. I got this feeling when I played it. It's the same feeling that I got when I played the first Uncharted when it came out, where I was like, this Mm. is so close to being a classic, but there's just something missing. I reckon the next one would have been a banger. And like, it's one of those games that if if I could snap my fingers and do anything with it, the thing I would do with that property is I would do a tabletop role-playing game. Mm. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. I would immediately yeah. make something along those lines. I, I, I know this will sound trite, but I think my favourite thing, and I text Pete about this <laughs> yesterday as I encountered it in real time. All right. Are we, go- are we going into this? Yeah. We're going into this. <laughs> I think genuinely one of the most impressive things about it is the full frontal male nudity. Yeah, I've got to be honest. It's great. Um, Yeah, I mean, we talked about fat willies earlier and there is just one of those things that it does is it's very... It does it in a very art house way, art house cinema way, where it's like, what? What's wrong? Just the human figure. (laughs) It's just... It's properly like... It's properly like... Oh, you're just going to linger on this shot for a really long time. Like, cool. Yeah, it's just like, so what? So what? So what? So what? It's out. Oh, I don't care. There's werewolves running around. I don't care. <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah. What a game. So I want to give you an update on Everdale. Is that still a thing? Yeah. I thought you were still playing it, Dan. I was. I played it for a long, 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 long time. Then they changed some of the rules and it basically broke the game. So I stopped playing it. And then they changed the rules back because they realised they'd broken the game. And then I couldn't get back into it again. Yeah. Once yeah. the spell had been broken, I was like, I, I, I can't, I'm free. So so this is one of those like idle games where you press a button, it says, I'll oh, come back in four hours and you can do something else. Yeah, like um, like a farm... What, what was it called? The big Farmville. Facebook game? Yeah, Farmville. Like like Farmville, like Clash of Clans, but without the fighting. Um, and in fact, made by Supercell. And we talked about this uh, on a previous episode, of course. Um, that episode being... 136. Yeah, that's good. Well done. Yeah, tick. Well done. It's just come to you now what I mean. I know. And um, I was talking about how much I loved it. And, you know, a bunch of us got uh, tried it out. And some of us stuck around for a while and some of us didn't. Friend of the show, Greg Giddens and I have been playing it until this very day. Uh, and on my birthday, or maybe maybe the evening of, uh, they announced that they are going to be closing the servers for it. And, I've, oh. and I have never had this happen to me in a video game before, where a live... So I've, not, I'm, I've never really been into MMOs. So I've never experienced the like death of a world in that way, of a virtual world. I've never 
because of the job, my job, I used to have to play loads of these games, and loads of those games have been canned, but I had to move on relatively quickly, so I've never really stuck around for a long time. But this one I've been playing since 136, and now we're at 161. That is, there's only two a, two a month, two episodes a month, which means that I've been playing it for like, what, a year and a half, two years? Like, a long time, right? Like, and it's been really lovely, and now I'm like, I'm I, like, so... Now I don't know what to do. Now I'm like really upset. <laughs> so I fired it up the other day and it said, oh, by the way, we're, we're going to be closing the, the servers down. Like, you know, we you know, we didn't think we did a good job, blah, 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 blah. And I thought, well, okay, whatever. Uh, and reading between the lines, what it means is we couldn't figure out a way to monetize people because I never spent any money in that game. Uh, uh, mm. And I got everything I wanted, which was every single pet in the game yeah. and a chicken costume for every single one of my villagers. <laughs> Um, that's why I went Brilliant. that was my end game basically and I got all of that what a policy what a policy um, and um, I, now I've, I've got to this slightly sentimental mood where I've stopped all of my villagers working um, and now I've just got them like petting the pets they can just pet the pets and then they're just like hanging out and I'm like, I just want to leave them like like that. Like that's that's the weird little virtual world that I assume that that server will get saved somewhere on a hard drive somewhere. And I just like the idea that like if it's like a flash of like this is what the world was like for Everdale. I like the idea that my villagers now are just going to be like petting their pets for infinity and like hanging out and doing nothing and relaxing for the rest of the time but have you folks ever the reason i wanted to talk about it is if you have have you folks ever had anything like this yourself like like a game where it was like you like you were like oh they they, they killed off the multiplayer and that was like my favorite part or maybe actually no i do i do Go have on. an example yeah. of a multiplayer that I absolutely loved that has now since closed down and that is the multiplayer for Uncharted 2 Among Thieves. Oh my word, pour one out everyone. Right, please. that was a brilliant multiplayer. So yeah. much fun. Yeah, that was yep. brilliant. Glitchy as hell in places but so oh, much yeah. fun. Oh yeah. What a game. What, what a multiplayer. D Dan and I had one and it was because of my shift from PS4 to PS5. Dan and I were having a really good time playing A Way Out. Yeah. Which you, which we had been talking about playing for literally probably years. Oh, God, we were having so much fun, and we were like, I want to say we were kind of just about to start the last act of the game, and then I switched to a PS5, and mm. for some strange reason, it wouldn't, it wouldn't port my save. It wouldn't allow me essentially to pick up where we left off. Essentially. Oh. Um, and it was really, really irritating as a consequence. And we tried everything. We spent like, I spent about 30 minutes and all I found online were people in the same boat. Yeah, it was just basically people saying, yeah, it's in it. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got something similar at the moment. I have just put down the controller on Assassin's Creed Valhalla Oof. after 130 hours I've sunk into Chris. it. Yowza. Well, it's the only game. It's the only game I've been playing on console since January the first. So, but they've been releasing free updates for it, and they dropped one literally like last week, which is it's the last one they're doing for, it, and it happened to fall during like the last week in which I said I was going to play it. It kind of irritated me because it's like, oh god, I've got more to do now. But I was like, no, I want to just get my settlement to its maximum level, and a bit like you, Pete, I've just left my character sat on their throne 
and just now deleted the game thinking nice. about okay this is all the stuff they're going to go off and they're going to go Beautiful. off and do those things without me really it's quite a nice sensation um really so uh, that gives me about another two months now before I pick up my next open world game, which will probably be Horizon Forbidden West, I think, which I don't think will be as long. Haven't you got Deathloop to play? Oh, yeah. I might try and squeeze that in in between, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, squeezing a little Deathloop. That was, my, that was my game of the year last year. I've actually been playing the game I got for um, last year for Secret Santa, which is Coffee Talk. Oh, I started playing that on my Switch on the train yesterday. That is such a delightful game. Excellent stuff. Um, I want to play it a little bit longer before I can talk about it proper, but being able to just make your teas and coffees in a very simple way. It's like every, every tea and coffee's got its free components to it, but it's really, really good. I, I've never wanted a green tea latte more than after playing this game, that's for <laughs> sure, really. So I, I'm really enjoying getting back to my Switch and playing... Um, some kind of visual novels, really. Very nice. Sam. Ahoy. Ahoy. Hello, Captain. Permission to come aboard. I know, I, I'd be the captain, really, wouldn't I? Whoa, hang on. Whoa, whoa. Let, let, let's talk about this. Uh, we've never ever we've never ever really talked about... I thought we had a very egalitarian system here. Are we talking about... Is there a hierarchy in our group? Absolutely. Uh, I'd be captain, you'd be first mate. Uh, Dan would be cook. And Pete will be go on, go on, <laughs> say it, um, say it. Like the, um... <laughs> I'm not sure I'm happy with this order. I think Pete would be the carpenter of the ship. <laughs> I've made you a TV stand, Captain. <laughs> a new leg from Dunelm. <laughs> I'm just being loud and shouting things. Yeah. Chris is actually running the stuff behind yeah. the scenes. Yeah. Like he's keeping everything going. Dan's making sure everyone's fed and eaten because the last thing you want is an angry crew. Mm -hmm. And the carpenter is probably the most important person on the ship because a ship, I'm assuming this is one made of wood if you're using yeah. vernacular like ahoy. <laughs> so um, yeah, the carpenter is you know pretty much keeping the whole thing afloat. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a whole load of nonsense. I do like the idea that, you know, we would have launched this ship while we were halfway building it. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I um, have recently been playing Ahoy, um, which were very kindly sent to us by Leader Game. So it, as a recording, it's not out yet. I think it's coming out this month. Okay. Um, but we're very lucky to get a copy of it. So thank you, Leader, for sending that to us. Um, this was a game designed by Greg Loring Albright. With art by leader game stalwart uh, Kyle Ferrin. And I'm trying to put my finger on oh. what it is about Kyle Ferrin's art that I really like because I have got all the root games. Yeah, Root, yeah. Fort, right. um, Ahoy, I mean, amongst other titles that Ferrin has done art for. And I think it the reason why I like Kyle Ferrin's art is because there is that there is that kind of childlike innocence to it. Um, mm. but it's always tinged with something that's a little bit haunted i suppose if you look at the eyes of the characters in root they always look quite shifty um, but they're really cute and adorable and I, I think there's something about that that blend of those two particular states i quite like it feels quite grown up but at the same time quite innocent like there's no harm mm. in terms of what you're doing here and ahoy is quite similar really i may have found an asymmetrical leader game that sam might like oh my word well, it's not leader in particular. 
No, 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 no. But what I mean is like, it's yeah, you're not a big fan of asymmetrical games. We've we've reviewed some on the pod this no. year that actually have quite liked quite a lot, actually. I did. Uh, I'm coming around. The boats are turning. And and I, I think like, I, yeah, I think like it's interesting because so for an asymmetrical game, for new listeners or listeners who aren't familiar with the genre, it's a genre of board game where the different players around the table have different abilities. So they all kind of interlock with each other. You're often trying to go for a common goal. So in Ahoy, it is the first to 30 fame points. But how you get those points is dependent on the actions you can do, really. It's been developed by Nick Brackman. And I was always going to love this game because it has a pirate theme. Um, I am a sucker for a pirate theme in board games. I very recently backed a game on Kickstarter called Davy Jones Locker, which is a co-op pirate game, which looks like great fun. Yep, I bullied you into getting a copy of Merchants and Marauders at Aircom. You certainly did, Sam. Yep. God bless you, Sam. Um, thank you, Captain. Right. Um, so this is a pirate game. It's area majority. And to some degree, it's about, okay, I control the most territories here. I get the most points. It's got a modular board, which I love. So literally, when your ship sails off the edge of the map, you produce a new tile. Where have we gone to? Oh, my word. What's over there beyond the horizon? And... It, and it's also, there's an element to pick up and deliver as well. I've got to pick this thing up here and take it to this other part of the board. Um, two to four players, between three quarters of an hour to 75 minutes, roughly playing time. And each player chooses a faction and attempts to get the most fame on the high seas. Um, but what's really interesting about this is that, yes, it's an asymmetrical game, but you can kind of split it into two pairings. So two factions are all about area control. And there's a kind of this interesting tug of war between them. But the other two factions are smugglers. And all they do is they kind of go, okay, watching these two people battle, we're going to kind of sneak across here. I've got to get this to here. And if I want, I can pledge my allegiance secretly to this one here, this other faction here. And I get my fame points this way, really. A little bit like the Vagabond in Root to some degree. And I get the impression, like the Vagabond, that if you don't keep an eye on them, they can run away with the game, as is often the case, really. Um, one thing that is I really, really love about this game is that it's got dice placements. And ever since Sam and I played Sagrada um, at Aircon, I've really hankered to play more of that. So, so really, the dice have two functions. You roll them, you look at the number, and then you place them somewhere on your player board, and that can unlock certain actions here. So you start with two tiles as the map, and each tile is split into a grid of four squares, and each square's got something in it, but every single tile has an island on it that has a particular suit. And some of these sections of these tiles have helpful things, like, oh, a harbour, brilliant, I can repair my ship, ding dong, or unhelpful areas. Oh, wreckage, oh, great, I've, I, can, I have to wreck my ship now, I have to take a, a ruined thing on one of my slots. Or both, where I enter into a tile and it's a bit like a travel later at an airport. It just sends me off somewhere else. That could send me off the map into a tile that could be wreckage or somewhere that's good. And we begin by rolling our dice. And on our go, starting with the first player, we take two of those dice and we put them on our board in certain sections with actions. Now, some of those sections might be blank and any dice can go there. Some of them may ask for a specific number or for an even number, say, for example. So what I really like is you don't have that analysis paralysis to a degree because it's like, well, I can only put it where the dice I roll are, really. And a lot of those are things like move. There's this great mechanic called Tailwind, which is my, one of my favorite things in the game, where 
oh, I want to get from here all the way over there. Well, rather than trying to kind of make my way bit by bit there, I look at this little dice that's drawn on that tile. If I put that exact number in the tailwind, I can literally just shoot to that side of the board very quickly. That's clever. Which is that's really cool. nice. Mm -hmm. And because there's only one slot for tailwind, you only get one per round to use it, which is really, really All cool. Right. You also get to battle as well. And it's that classic thing, I enter your territory, we battle. But another, but a really cool thing is you can only battle if at least one of you has got a dice in cannons. If you've not put any dice in cannons, you just, hi, well, we'll come back later and fight when we've got cannons. Um, so I really like that. Oh, that's good. Pirates with a moral compass. Yeah. And, and what I found really interesting when playing was sometimes I'd get panic. and think, oh, I better put dice in cannons straight away. And then nobody would fight me. And I've just wasted a dice. And what happened unconsciously was that we kind of, you could kind of sense where people were in a fighting mood and when people weren't. And so mm. it, it felt less combative to a degree. I was just, I was just going to ask about the balance around the table because that's usually one thing I don't like about asymmetrical games. And it's one thing I loved about Crescent Moon is that it's an asymmetrical game built about a balance amongst the players on the table. Everyone's asymmetrical powers, the different things that they are doing to try and win, complement and balance each other to a certain degree. And you and you mentioned that, that Ahoy kind of has this in that like two players a certain have a certain style of play and two players have the others. So how does that balance work? Like if two players are the smugglers or or if you're just playing a two player game where two of you are doing area control, like does that wildly whack thing at things out of balance or does it kind of maintain that it's a very good question like i don't think it's as intricate as crescent moon because equally also it's not as complicated quite frankly mm -hmm. um it's it's meant to be something fairly mid-level light which you just throw on the table and play around it's really interesting when you're playing two players you can only play the area control game so it's only when you go to three to four players that then the smugglers come in which is kind of a shame really if you're struggling to get three players around the table but i really did enjoy that tug of war game of two players. Mm. Um, I felt it was it balanced quite neatly. The person I played with, a mutual friend of ours, Sam, didn't feel that. Um, and yeah, so you kind of you kind of play this kind of dance back and forth. There's also a market which is really cool of cards which you can buy as little modifiers or do really interesting things to your particular faction. For the bluefin squadron and the mollusks, who are the area controls, you look, use the top half of those. For the smugglers, you buy them and use the bottom half, and that tells you where you're, you know, the cargo you're taking from one place to the other. And the smugglers have on their board a little tiny mini board, which, as they do successful kind of, you know, smuggling trades, they get to unlock things on their board. So they've got this little game within their game as well. Um, but yeah, I, I really have a lot of time for this game. Um, we're going to have a play of this, I think, Friday night, Sam, when you and I hang out. Um, I, yeah, I, I really do think it's going to be a real keeper for me because it scratches that itch that Root does, but getting Root to the table. Oh, it takes ages. It's a, and particularly getting it to the table for two people. Yeah. I know they have like recommended kind of play counts for Root, which, you know, and I love Root, you know, but I think I get this to the table more just by dint of the fact that it is lighter. The tear, you know, the setup time and teardown is so quick and it's so easy to teach the rules. They have these lovely little booklets. Everyone gets one of these tiny little Ahoy booklets that just gives you everything you need. You can literally pick it up and play it straight away. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, 
I'm a huge fan of Root, and I want to play it more and more and more in two-player. I'm kind of waiting for the um, the Marauders set to come out, because apparently that, that makes the game a bit better in two-player. But you're absolutely right. Like The setup time is a lot longer than you might necessarily want, especially if you've got two players. It's very rare that you sit down and play a really big sort of two-player game in that way. Or it's less likely, I should say. It's less likely you're going to get that sort of stuff out. But yeah, I really like that really lovely puzzle of knowing where you know where to place your dice when to place them and knowing when to kind of go out to kind of reinforce your control in certain areas and when to be combative to try and steal the player the the opposing player of their their ability to kind of do the things they want to do so yes uh i can highly recommend ahoy um that's definitely been going to the table more and more often for me Let's let's talk about dice some more, and let's <laughs> specifically talk about how one of my uh, favorite board game genres. I, I has been honestly rebranded. thought you were going to say uh, my favorite dice is the cl- yeah. my favorite dice is that classic D six. Oh, <laughs> the D six. Oh, you're such a traditionalist. I love. Can't beat it. I love a D twenty. Oh, you're such a nerd. <laughs> I'm partial to a good D ten. Me, you know. Yeah, you're such a you're such a carry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hate a D four. Right, um, one of my favourite board game genres, a roll and write game, has somehow, for for whatever reason, even though it's, I don't know, it's it's kind of like a microcosm of all art. It's kind of like had its invention, yep. had, it's had its golden age. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gone into a bit of a downfall as as the market has just been mm-hmm. kind of flooded by roll and write like versions of every single popular board game out there and now it feels like for whatever reason that it needs to be rebranded mm-hmm. um, because it's the first thing you see when you open up dungeons dice and danger aptly sent to us by ravensburger thank you um and it says dungeons dice and danger a pen and dice game hmm. i quite like that kind of feels like a natural sort of evolution of the term it kind of brings a lot more into that under its umbrella but all you are doing in Dungeons, Dice and Danger is rolling dice and writing things. Um, but what will pique your interest, Pete, mm. is this comes from designer Richard Garfield. Oh! Ding, 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 ding. I hate Mondays. Uh, so so that is very exciting because that is, of course, the lad what made Magic the Gathering. Keyforge? Keyforge, that was the one I was going to go to next. He also did a couple of games with uh, Wizards of the Coast after Magic. Side note, I know we're going off top topic. I don't care, I'm taking us there. I found out, do you know why Richard Garfield made Magic the Gathering? Like, how that game came about? Let's gather around the fireside. So, do you know, um, there's a there's a tabletop game that he made that was called something like, like Rockin' Robots or Robot... A uh, robot rally, robot rally, something called. along those lines. Um, and so he was he was putting this idea for a game together, and he went to Wizards of the Coast, and they said, "Yeah, that's that's really nice, but like we're a tiny little publisher, and we haven't got like any money at this point. They're really really small at this point." Um, and they're like, "Yeah, I can't really put that together. We can't really afford any injection molds. Is there anything else that you can do that's like a bit cheaper?" Um, and he was like, well, I've been kicking this idea around for this thing that uses cards. Cardstock's mm-hmm. pretty cheap, right? And they were like, yeah, cardstock. Let's go with cardstock. 
And it ended up costing them more money to make it because, of course, you've got to go and do all the art and you've got to do all that sort of stuff. And then they put it into print. And, of course, that was the first edition of Magic the Gathering. Um, but it, basically, it was just wizards going like, yeah, great idea, but, like, we can't afford to publish this. Could you just revolutionize tabletop gaming is that possible um so that's how magic came about and that was how magic was invented children and um, and i think we're also forgetting netrunner king of tokyo oh, yeah. and uh, bunny kingdom it's just a few yeah. other you know <laughs> minor board yeah. games sleeper uh, hits so uh invented sleeper hits yeah um so yeah so this is dungeons dice and danger mm-hmm. which i think is his first Roll and Write, or Pen and Dice game, as it's now called. And effectively, it's a dungeon crawler. It's a um, RPG sort of one-shot in a box, basically, on on a piece of paper played out through just rolling dice and travelling through these squares. Mm-hmm. So how it works is you pick one of four different adventures and... What defines the different adventures is, def- is the, the complexity of them. Mm-hmm. But what you're doing feels very early Dungeons and Dragons. You're going in, you're fighting beasts, you're collecting treasure, and there's a big boss monster in the center that you've got to kill in order to, to make it out. The game ends when all of the monsters have been killed by the party. So, you know, you don't you don't have to kill all the monsters yourself, but once everyone around the table has collectively killed all the monsters. That's when the game ends. You total up your gems, your gold, things that you found. Whoever's the richest, most most successful dungeoneer mm-hmm. uh, wins. How the game works in terms of the rolling mechanic is that you roll these five dice, four white, one black. And then if you are the passive player, as in the person who didn't roll the dice, you look at those four dice and you combine them to make two numbers. So you combine, you make combinations of two to make two numbers. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Like the um, blue and white dice in Ganshon. Yes. And then you use that numbers to scratch off boxes in the dungeon. And each box has a number assigned to it. And at the start of the game, you can scratch off uh, mark off any green box so you like starting squares but from that point on you then have to navigate boxes that are adjacent to ones that you've already navigated into if you're the active player i.e the person who rolled the dice you have a black dice which you can use as a substitute to one of the white dice to create a number so it's not really much of an advantage you've just got a bit more of an extra choice in terms of what number combinations you can create and that is the game. And when I've when I've played this, I've always gone into every single dungeon going, This is this is this is really simple. This is really easy. Like I'm just like throwing down numbers, making my way through the dungeon, and it felt a lot more mm. like it felt a lot more mechanical on the surface than it actually turns out to be. Because actually when you start playing it, you realise that the maths underpinning each of the maps actually makes each of the dungeon have its own sort of personality. Because there are routes that you cannot take in the early game. There are certain directions that become riskier to 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 navigate because you're going to need certain numbers that just don't come up that often in the probability of when you're rolling two dice right. together. So going and getting 
a certain gem or a certain treasure item requires really low numbers that, you know, you're going to have to roll a one and a one in order to get to those rooms. You're much better off starting off in the early game, going to attack some of the weaker monsters and then working your way through into some of the other environments. And like, that's just something that I really enjoy about the game. Just this kind of like, you look at it and it's just squares with numbers in them. Mm. And the art is fantastic. It's by Cam Kendall. And it is really evocative and really brings the whole thing to life and doesn't make it feel like a like a maths exam. But yeah, on the surface, it does feel like boxes with numbers. But the more you get through it and the more time you spend with it, which is quite often because the games last like over 30 minutes. Like you are spending a long time like navigating these dungeons and making your way through them it's not just a little throwaway roll and write which i which i assumed that it was going to mm. be when you look at the box art when you look at you know how it's sort of packaged up it just does just look like it's throwaway item but no there's a real tactic to right how am i going to make my way through these dungeons here are the animals that i need to and here are the creatures that i need to fight and fend off I, i'm going to have to think about this really tactically in order to get the most out of experience, just like you would when you're playing an RPG and, and doing a dungeon crawler. And the actual combat itself works in an interesting way, where each animal has two or three numbers associated with them. And once you've made your way to an, a room that's adjacent to them, on any further dice rolls, if you roll one of those numbers, you can scratch off one of their, one of their health boxes. But some of them have numbers that are transparent they're not filled in and what you have to do first is navigate your way round the animals or the creatures filling in certain different boxes in order to then fill in the transparent numbers so then you can use them in future dice rolls to attack the monsters so it's almost like you know you observing the creature finding out how it works how it operates and then you can attack to it like the boss on the first map starts off all of its numbers are transparent you cannot attack it until you've done some observation till you've done some exploring around hmm. it in order to in unlock a number that you can then use on a future dice roll and it's these little small mechanics that it uses like the probability like the unlocking of the of the numbers of the um of the bosses like the distribution of the of the of the treasure and the wealth that really turn this like mathematical like uh, paper into something that's really thematic um i had a i had a question this could be kind of mainly due to the fact that i don't play i've i've only played like roll and write games once or twice obviously with you um like i think i've just played kind of welcome to and i think that's pretty much it um, and from looking, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. looking at kind of images of this and it, it does like, it's very, um, it's very beautiful to look at, but it looks very different to the, kind of the layout and what the structure that I, I kind of associate with the Ronan Wright genre. So my kind of question to you, and it, and it might be an obvious thing to kind of people who would know Ronan Wright games, but kind of obviously you've got this board with all the, the boxes with different numbers already kind of printed on them. Like, um, when you roll the dice, how do you how are you choosing the, mm -hmm. the the boxes to go into? How are those numbers that are on the boxes compared? Are you having to roll a dice and then 
get the number before you can move into that box if the if the box has got a five on it is it a case that you can't go in yeah. there unless you roll exactly five or do you chip away at it so yeah. you roll a three and the next time you roll a two and now you can go into it when you're making those combinations of numbers then that's the kind of decisions that you're always making is right i can make a, a six and a and a ten what rooms are they going to allow me to to start exploring and you can only explore a room if a you've rolled that number that's printed on it and b you've explored a room adjacent to it already so you imagine you're making yeah. your way like through through a dungeon what i that that's what i thought would be really simple dan i just thought it'd be just rolling dice filling in numbers but you get to be start thinking really tactically about it is that right i've got a 10 and a 6 here or it could be a four and an eight um actually that doesn't work mathematically but you know what i mean ten and a six and an eight and an eight so so you can choose which which of the yes. of the four dice you get to choose which of the ones you want to use yes which are the combinations you make so you can make you know you could make four different numbers or three different numbers depending on how you combine those those dice together yeah. and then it's choosing firstly can you fill in a box there may not be a box that you can even fill in because it may be just like you've closed yourself off from a certain pathway. Or it might be that the only pathway you can take is somewhere that you're, you are you don't really want to go. So you start having to make actual, real like plans about which direction you're going to go in this dungeon. And what if you can't move anywhere? If, you, if, you, if, you, if you're surrounded by, I don't know, a box that says two and a box that says three, but you've the lowest number you've rolled is a four... So if you can't go, this is one of the reasons why um, uh, going quite early to get close to the to the creatures that you're fighting can really help you out. Because if you can't go and you've discovered a box that is next to a creature, you can always just attack the creature as long as the number fits. It might not be a square um, that you can scratch off, but you can you might be able to do some damage to to uh, a monster and if you defeat the monster you can then move to an adjacent square beyond it but if you still can't go after then down the side of the table uh, of the grid that you're playing on is essentially it looks like a little health bar so there's lots of little squares um, that go from green to red to black which is basically like death and if you can't go you then have to scratch off one of those boxes so this one has quite a lot of boxes to scratch off but the last one is like if you get right to the bottom it's minus 20 to your score and um, this sounds great to me personally mm. do you i didn't i i didn't think you'd like it chris no i'm not i'm not overly keen on rolling rights but i think what we've learned today sam is maybe i found an asymmetrical game you know that you'll like and maybe you found a roll and write or a pen and dice game that I will like. What I like about it, and this is not to render it a disservice, it looks a little bit like a map sheet. It looks like, you know when you used to get a little chef as a kid? Oh, and on the kids, yeah. you would have like a little puzzle thing beneath your plate. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is like one of your, I don't know what you called it in the end, your, one of your bag games, Sam, where literally you could chuck a map in your bag with a dice and a pen and you could go anywhere with this. Mm. And a question mm. I wanted to ask was, a, how many maps do you get in the box? And B, it sounds to me you're playing this solo. I know you were talking about active and passive players, but can, is there a solo variant to this? There, there is a solo variant. So I played it solo and I played it with with other people as well. 
and um, it's definitely a lot more fun with with other people I think um, and you get four four different maps the difference in the maps are in in sort of making them complex but it, but there's also differences in terms of things that you that you have to do so there's so there's one where you have to clear away rubble in certain spaces if you actually want to proceed through through a certain direction so you have to roll certain numbers multiple times in order to to clear away um rubble as you go from map to map it really starts to ramp up that that feeling of right you're not just people bumbling into a dungeon anymore and oh no there's a wolf here and slash 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 with fight 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 as the maps go along it becomes a lot more about well there's rubble here and we've got to we've got to clear up there there are cultists here that we've got to that we've got to kill and we've got to sort out and there's other ones where we oh we really have to plan for this we really have to decide which direction we're going to go and, and which avenue we're going to going to start explore explore down so it becomes really like again like the rpg feeling of you go from just plucky adventurers going along on a on a merry little adventure to really having to plan and be organized in order to make it through to the end of the adventure A lovely treat that I had uh, just around my birthday time, other than all of your lovely gifts and uh, all that uh, wonderful stuff and, and going out to a nice restaurant and all that kind of stuff, um, is uh, I had an adventure of mine published very recently what? as well. There is a contest every year and it's and it's been running for years and years and years. It's actually mentioned in a history of role-playing games book that I've been reading recently. Um, and it's called One Page Dungeon Contest. And uh, it's run over on the website dungeoncontest.com. And it is what it... What it says on the tin. Yeah, exactly. Uh, basically, the contest is you write a one-page dungeon or adventure of some kind, piece of content, I guess. It really does need to be an adventure of some kind, um, for any role-playing game and that role-playing game it usually needs to be kind of role-playing game agnostic like it, it it's not like this is for fifth edition or like this is for call of cthulhu or whatever it's more it tends to be a thing where it's like take any kind of role-playing game in general and and create a, an adventure for it and because it's a dungeon it kind of generally implies a certain kind of role-playing game so you're probably not going to create something for something like a storytelling game like Fiasco, but you are more likely to make something for uh, basic fantasy or third edition or, or, or whatever it is, right? Yeah. It's a dungeon. Um, and the contest is basically you submit a single page, single page of A4 with your adventure on it, and then everybody goes into a big pile and then they all get published as a PDF on RPG. And also on uh, the uh, a website, I think that Spiel Knights runs. I think it's called Gum Road, and all the entries end up in this published piece of content. And then there's like a contest whereby, like you know, the best ones are kind of highlighted and championed and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, it's a it's a creative exercise because you usually have a month. Um, so they set the the goal, and this time around, it was the phrase wonder. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask if it had like a specific theme. Yeah, wonder yeah. was the theme. And uh, and then they basically give you like a month and then you submit it and then you see what happens. Um, and yeah, I put one together and it was 
a great time. It was a really fun experience. It was nice to make dungeons again and come up with adventures that are, you know, that kind of that kind of content where it's kind of a it's a puzzle in game design where you have to you've only got a page, so you have to really think about what it is that you want to get across. So your writing has to be really spot on. My 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 one page went through I think four or five drafts where it was like initially I was like, oh crap, my one page is three pages long. Like this is this is bad. So you don't you don't just do what I used to do kind of in school and just make the font really small and make all the margins really really thin. <laughs> I, just, I didn't have to worry about because it used to be like oh, it has to be two sides. I'm like okay if I just make that font real small I can fit a lot more words in. So so I did the opposite. I would always just like double spacing, make, make it big. It big. Yeah. Um, so word art. So uh, so <laughs> so uh, so I, I was at like three pages. I'm like, okay, I need to, need to cut this down. So cut it down to like its barest essentials. And then, oh, this is still too long. Okay, so it's about two pages now. Um, how do I say exactly what I want to say in fewer words? And that's, that's yeah. a really difficult challenge. You're, you're, you're really having to f- walk a fine line between something where, like something like Cat Calculation, where it was very much about like evocative. It was all about trying to be as evocative as possible in the writing so that you got that across to the to the keeper, this was now much more a thing of like, okay, I'm trying to keep that in mind for you, but also I only have a page to work with. So I'm going to have to use really single evocative sentences uh, as much as I possibly can and still get across things. So you're trying to do all of that sort of stuff. And you're also trying to keep in mind the fact that like, you haven't got boundaries for a lot of stuff. You might have players that just kind of wander off in a different direction in which case, how do you how do you cope with that? Because you can't you don't have endless opportunities to be like, ah, oh, well, there are werewolves on the outskirts of the forest that do this that come after you. Like, you know, it, it needs to boil down to in that kind of a situation, like get your players back on track into this one area because you know, however it is that you need to do that. So I made one called Wonder, Wonder, <laughs> Wonder Vision, called uh, Clark's Third Law. <laughs> Uh, which is uh, based on uh, one of Arthur C. Clarke's laws of science fiction. And the third law is that any sufficiently advanced technology to a primitive culture appears to be magic. Did you did you wish you'd pick one of the shorter laws to make your life a little bit easier? Yeah, it's half a page with the title, to be honest. So the idea with it, and, and this is the other thing that is really fun about this as a, as a creative activity, is you go and see what everybody makes. And some people make very just straight on dungeons and they're, and they're beautiful. And the thing that they, that they twist on is like, they, they'll, one of the recent ones that I saw was like, the artwork for it was incredible. Like it was an isometric dungeon in its visual design. So it looked really, really looked like a really cool, like 16 bit era, you know, isometric design sort of thing with these wonderful surreal colors and absolutely incredible. But in terms of dungeon stuff, it's stuff that you've seen in, you know, a bunch of different adventures before, right? So you see where the twist is. It's, it's really cool. Um, so for some people, it was clearly like kids who had been like trying out their first ever one. So it was all built mm. in word, word dot doc kind of stuff, like really weirdly laid out. It was really cool. Uh, it was really fun to see like the kind of enthusiasm for it. And for mine, what I decided to go with was um, an all-black piece of uh, 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 background with green text writing 
as if it's from like a 1980s terminal. Um, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. The, the concept of it is that what you actually do is you take one of the other dungeons from within the, the, the adventure collection in the compendium and then you bolt on mine and it turns out that the adventure that they're actually two page yeah exactly is it well yeah (laughs) but the adventure that they're in is actually like a holodeck so the Uh, so the idea is that the the adventure they've been running it previously is that and so then the the twist on the whole thing is that you then have these additional areas of the dungeon that are added into the adventure which are actually my bits which are like which is essentially like a control room and a, a you know a testing lab and then like a that kind of thing and it's actually a sci-fi adventure basically it was very much inspired by one of the early um uh the early sort of 1970s um Dungeons and Dragons adventures that I think Arneson wrote or maybe Gygax wrote um and so that was the idea and so the, the thing on that was like actually the twist on this the creative twist on this is it's actually not a dungeon in and of itself you can only run it with another person's dungeon but the the idea is you can run two dungeons at the same time um it was great every every time you you talk to us about this latest kind of rpg yeah. thing that i die done, a little um <laughs> Well, no, it, it always takes me back to kind of the conversations we had, like when we first tried RPGs mm. and you saying that you had no interest in running them because you didn't have the imagination for them. Yeah. You, you couldn't do that. And like us having conversations around that. And so it's it's really funny to kind of see you now kind of constantly iterating and building and becoming more and more creative. I mean, th- this is actually like kind of you've got a fl- the flip side of this being like creating that RPG aspect with almost like almost like turning proofreading into a game where like you've you've written three pages you need to proofread it down to like correct like changing your grammar changing your vocabulary learning all this new stuff and taking turning that those kind of fundamentals of language and creating kind of this kind of sub game that's because I had to go and learn how to use Affinity Publisher, which in and of itself is it like so you uh, you, you know things like um uh, you're quite a whiz with like video editing tools, right, Dan? Like like and you know how like you go and figure that stuff out and when when you get it running, it's so satisfying. Yeah. It's like it's like a simulation game in that way where you're like, oh, I figured it out. Well, that is the same with Affinity Publisher. <laughs> it's just like, why is the leading wrong? And then you go and Google it, and you're like, I didn't know what leading was, <laughs> and um. Yeah, that's that's been that's been a really fun thing, and I think, funnily enough, it's it's a, it's something that I would really recommend for anybody who's kind of interested in the process because it really makes you. I mean, for, first of all, it gives you that thing that everybody needs, which is a deadline, uh, and it also gives you confinement, right? Like one of the really scary things I think, whenever I thought about creativity back in the day, Dan, was the blank page. I could do anything. So I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. As soon as I'm a great believer, as soon as somebody says to you, here's a piece of paper, uh, but you've only got these three, these three crayons. That immediately makes you go, okay, I've got some ideas now, right? Because you've got limitations. And I think the one page dungeon contest is one of those things where by saying, no, 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 you don't get a page and a half. You don't get two pages. You don't get any of that. You get one page. That's all you're having. Go. And it's, it, because of that, you immediately have to start getting creative. Because it was a really big story I really wanted to tell about Clark's Third Law. 
And I was like, but if I try and do the whole thing, it's going to be really, really difficult. But instead, what I can do is, okay, actually, I can cheat and say, it's this other page in the book as well, whichever one it is that you want, and mine. And so you have to kind of get creative with that sort of thing. I bought myself a bib the other day. <laughs> a bib? You bought yourself a bib? Yep. Right, hang on. Is this like a football five-a-side bib? No. Or like my son bib? Between those two. What event led you to thinking, I need a bib? Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, he's finally taking part in a in a hot dog eating contest, isn't he? Or something. Fulfilling like, his prophecy. <laughs> yeah. He's taken yeah. to just eating lobsters. Like all of you, um, I'm not mm. really clean shaven. I'm, I don't do the whole clean shaven thing. It just irritates my skin. But I don't really like having a neck beard. I think I know where this is going. Okay. So what I do is I, I kind of, I binge shave. So what I do is I wait until it's like really long. And then I kind of like, yeah, hang on. For listeners, that's probably very grotesque. They're imagining that I've got a great big bushy beard. But like I... No, I just hate the phrase binge shave. Yeah, and to be fair, I think that's a phrase you just made up. You say it as if it's a casual everyday yeah. thing that everyone knows. You've just made that up. That's not a thing. All right. And yeah. he really enjoys it. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, I love oh. a good binge shave. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love a good binge shave. So I wait until it's too long and then I shave it. But one thing I do daily is I always shave around the neck so I can keep it fairly neat. It's not, yeah. it's not the kind of thing that shows up on those lists of like 10 best things to binge, is it? It's not. <laughs> it, that doesn't show up there. Number four, yeah. shaving. Yeah. But, yeah. but what I've got Go is on. this it's like a barber, barber's smock which goes round and it comes with these two holes in either end of it. And they've got little pl plastic hooks with suction cups. And I go on my mirror. Yeah. Shave. Sorry, shave my beard. Yeah. Um, with my, because I have an electric shaver to kind of trim it so it's nice and short. Sure. That goes into the bib. Boom, boom, boom. Pour it into yeah. the bin. Ooh. Job done. Now, Chris, I was, I was all willing to sit here and absolutely rip into you for 20 minutes, but actually that sounds really good. Can you just send me a link to that? That actually sounds great. Yeah. I was also ready to rip into you for a good 20 minutes. However, I also have one of those bibs. Oh, you <laughs> bloody hypocrite. Yeah, I, 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 I don't, because I, I mean, my beard, I actually have a beard as opposed to kind of just can't be slightly asked. unshaven so I, i'd shave even less than you when i've been shave all oh my word there's a lot to shave um so yeah i don't use it that often what i do have which i do use more often is i mm. do have a uh a cool. beard hair uh hoover aka a uh, hoover yes so this this is one of those things that shows up <laughs> like when you're like on youtube and the adverts pop up and it's kind of like it's not from like Manscaped, but it's that kind of thing. I think it's like the Groomsman or something. I think the name of the company. <laughs> the Groomsman. So, so, it's, so it's a bloke who just comes yeah. around. It's like a small little black um, device, which obviously yeah. is powered by USB because all things are. Everything is now. Um, and when it's charged, you just turn it on and then you run it over and it and it sucks up all the hair. And it, you know what? It's the kind of thing that you look online and you think, that looks like a clever idea. It will never work. Mm. But it actually works really well. Uh, so, do you, so, 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 hang on. So, th so th this works on your sink. So, like a ceramic sink, it'll like Hoover up and around. Yeah, if I'm shaving, I'll do it over the sink, and then I literally just get the thing, turn it on, and go, and just push it over the hair, and it sucks it all up, and then I just open it and empty it into the bin. That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. Does it work on like um, um, other hair? Yeah, all hair, Pete. All hair. All hair. 
Unattached though, Pete. Unattached. Does it need to be unattached? I assume it, it does. It does because there is like a fan inside of it. You don't want it to get anything caught in the fan. You see, that could be that could be problematic. A lacerating experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. That's good advice. I need, I need, I need links for these both of these things <laughs> sent to me. <laughs> Well, I'm going to bring this episode to a close uh, and okay. a little bit of, well, maybe finality, maybe not finality. Um, folks. All right. Folks. You're leaving us. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Off I go. <laughs> um, folks, 41 people have downloaded What's Better Than a Hot Tub. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my God. 41 people have paid what they wanted and the, the price is conclusive. <laughs> Zero <laughs> is the amount. But 41 people. So so I, I want to say thank you ever so much to everybody who listens to this, who downloaded it. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, if you've played it. That's amazing. Uh, even better. We'd love to see your photos. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> now is the season for the hot tub. It is the season for the hot tub. So um, what's better than a hot tub? Still up on Drive Through RPG. You can go and grab it. Still yeah. up there, as if we're ever going to take it down and, and and remember if you are taking photos this is not the order 1886 <laughs> <laughs> oh dear we're a family podcast you know send it uh, along with any questions you might have for us any investigations you want to get into any any suggestions to include in staying in's uh, uh, Christmas bingo quiz uh, that we definitely have to make oh, now I really don't understand what this Christmas oh. bingo thing is. is it why is it a Christmas quiz now I don't know I, I'm just I'm just adding I'm somewhat confused as to what what the purpose of the bingo card is do you not know what bingo do is do you know there? what bingo is I don't understand how Giving a bingo card for our podcast would work. So, so, so imagine, imagine you got a bingo card, and instead of numbers, you have tick this off when. So, uh, you know, for example, Sam says wonderful. For example, that would be a tick, right? That would be a tick. For example, uh, Dan, when you say, I don't often get to play tabletop games, but. Like tip, right? So that's the bingo card. So staying in pod at gmail.com if you have any of these things. <laughs> to give us a complex. To give us a bit of a complex. That'd be nice. So so common things that happen in yeah. episodes that are... that you have picked up from being an outside listener. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And we'll and we'll see who can tick off the most. The most in the in the Christmas yeah. episode. But we've got to make the yeah, thing first. But we've got a deadline and it's one page. So Easy. Uh, so that's stayinginpod.gmail.com. You can also find us on all the different social medias. Uh, what have we got, Chris? Mm-hmm. What social medias have we got? Bum, 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 bum. Well, if you just put at stayinginpod, that's That'll a handle do. for Twitter, Facebook, the gram. we got all those. Uh, we've also got a Spotify playlist, which we don't plug enough. No. No. <laughs> um, I think more people have downloaded... What's better than a hot tub than a listen? Oh. <laughs> uh, so link, links to the Spotify, Spotify uh, playlist are in the show notes as well. We also have a page on Board Game Geek. Yes, we do. And a Steam page. So yeah, everything we discuss uh, gets listed on there. So if, if you if you think you like the sound of something we've discussed, you can head over to there and you'll get kind of links and stuff from there. Obviously, you'll also get that from our from our website as well, stainingpodcast.com. Yep, <laughs> that's the one. And I want to say thanks to Leader Games for sending us a review copy of Ahoy. And Ravidsberger for sending us Dungeons, Dice and Danger.
a pen and dice game. And I want to say thanks to Dan. And uh, we'll speak to you in <laughs> next time. Thanks, Pete. All right, then.